I believe it is the practice here to read part of the form. No, it's not part of the, okay, good. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is the scripture reading for tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head inasmuch as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. The man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power, that is a symbol of authority, on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering but if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. <clears throat> for first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. I partly believe it, but there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And now just a, a little clarification there. In verse 20, more literally, it reads something like this. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this cannot be that you eat the Lord's Supper. It cannot be. It it's, can't happen. Why not? Verse 21. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, 
and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament, in my blood, this do ye, as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. So far we read God's holy word. The text again, verses 23 through 29. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the inspired Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Corinth that had special problems, serious problems. 
understand something about the nature of that congregation. Corinth was a relatively new church. And they had come out of paganism. Most of the people in that church were first-generation Christians. They had not had the privilege of an upbringing in a covenant home. They had not received instruction from Scripture when they grew up. As they grew up, they had no knowledge of the true God from the Bible, no knowledge of His Son, Jesus. They had no knowledge, of, according to Scripture, of what sin was, that it earned a debt against them before God and a need for payment. They grew up knowing nothing of that. They were unbelievers, pagans, worshiping idols. Paul had come to Corinth and preached the gospel for about a year and a half. And God used that preaching to turn many away from unbelief, away from their idols. They confessed Jesus Christ, that he was their Savior, that he was the Son of God. They confessed that the cross was their salvation. And they began to live the life of thankful obedience, but it was all very new. And it was quite understandable that not all the instruction that Paul had given them in that year and a half took deep root in their lives, that they would sometimes revert to some of their practices in the past and not live out of the Word of God. In this letter, therefore, the apostle rebukes the congregation with some stern, stern rebukes. There were serious sins there, party spirit. The congregation was divided. This group said, no, I follow this minister. And another group said, no, I follow that minister. That's the one that's my favorite. That's the one that is bringing the true gospel. They were tolerating sin. Some of the sins out of their background of gross idolatry, not only but of, of adultery, were present in the church. Here in this chapter, the Apostle Paul addresses, beginning at verse 17, a serious issue concerning the Lord's Supper and the way that they were partaking of the Lord's Supper. It involves sin. And the way to understand this chapter is that prior to the worship service, the congregation came together for a meal, a beautiful idea. Sometimes it was called a love meal, a love feast, where they would come together and partake and should have fellowship and then go together into the worship service. The problem is that when they came together for that meal, there was some very unchristian actions and even immoral actions in that feast. They would come together and some who had much would sit with their little family and their friends over here and they would partake and ignore the fact that there was an individual over there that had no family or friends. Ignore the fact that there was a group over there that had no food whatsoever. They were too poor even to bring food. And these people would 
indulged themselves in their food and in their drink, and some of them even became drunk. So after that meal, then they would all go into church, into the worship service, and have the sermon, and partake of the Lord's Supper. And Paul says to them, in verse 20, when you come together into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. That is to say, it's impossible for you to eat the Lord's Supper there. The way you just acted prior to the worship service makes it impossible for you to come to the table of the Lord. You're profaning it. You may not come that way. That's the point of this chapter. Then he begins to explain to them a proper partaking of the Lord's Supper. So bad was this, this wrong behavior that God was judging them. Verse 30 says, For this cause, because of what you've been doing, many are weak and sickly among you, and, and many sleep. God was bringing sicknesses, diseases, and taking some by death in order to chastise the congregation. Now, how does this apply to us? You must be very careful not to be smug in our knowledge. We have a lot of knowledge. Most of us have been privileged to have a covenant upbringing. Catechism, Christian school, a lot of instruction in the home, years of preaching. We know the Bible. We know what the Lord's Supper is all about. We have sermon after sermon out of the Heidelberg Catechism explaining the Lord's Supper and proper partaking of the Lord's Supper. Yes, we have a tremendous amount of knowledge. And we might imagine that what Paul is writing here, really, we, we don't need this. But this wasn't written just for the Corinthians. This was written for the church of all ages. It was written for Dune in 2023. Because coming to the table of the Lord is such a serious thing that it's possible for us to come to the table of the Lord improperly and be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord and bring judgment upon this congregation. That's how serious it is. So it's important for us then to understand proper partaking. And that's what we use as the theme for the sermon tonight. The proper partaking of the Lord's Supper. So first of all, we'll look at the Lord's Supper. Secondly, we'll look at the danger of partaking unworthily. Unworthily. And finally, the proper examination required. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper, according to the Heidelberg Catechism, is a sign and a seal of the gospel. It is a sign that is a picture 
And it is a seal, something applied to us, of the gospel, of the cross, then of Jesus Christ. The text also indicates that when it uses the word remembrance, both in verse 24 and 23, this do in remembrance of me. Verses 24 and 25. In remembrance of me. Now, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's not using that in, in some superficial way as if, I want you to remember me. There are people that want that. They, they want people to remember them in a good way after they die. So they might contribute a large amount of money, build a big hospital wing, and put their name on it. And they want people to remember them and remember them in a positive way. That, that's not at all what Jesus means by that. In this context, clearly, the remembrance is, he wants us to remember his work on the cross. That's what we should be thinking about. The breaking of the bread is a sign. It's a picture. It's a picture of his body being broken, sacrificed, crucified on the cross. It's a picture of his body bearing the wrath of God against sin. The terrible fury of God's wrath, his holiness, breaking out against sin, breaking out against Jesus Christ who had become sin for his people, broken by that wrath. Jesus took our guilt and, and bore that infinity of wrath. We can't even conceive of hell itself to think of people who are in hell enduring God's terrible wrath and that that will never ever end. All of that eternity Jesus took in time and he took the sins not merely of one individual for an eternity but the sins of all his people. He bore that. On the cross. His body, his body was broken. He died to pay for sin. They're gone, they're paid for. Call this to mind, he says. Do this in remembrance of me. See the bread that is broken for you, and remember that. Jesus' body was broken for your sins. Remember that. This is not an ordinary death. This is an atoning death. Take the bread. Remember that. By faith, believe that Jesus was broken for your sins. And then the cup of wine. As Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament, that is the New Covenant. It's the New Covenant in my blood for the remission of sins. So once again, you have a picture there of Jesus pouring out his life's blood for sin. But the fact that Jesus said, as the text says here, this cup is the New Testament or covenant in my blood. He is saying, 
Yes, your sins are paid for. And when I paid for your sins, I realized the covenant. The new covenant is established in my blood. Adam broke the covenant that God had established with him. When God created him, God created him in a covenant. Adam broke that. But God yet maintained his covenant through blood, through the shedding of blood. Now, we already pointed to that to Adam at Adam's time already by killing animals, shedding blood, taking the skins and clothing Adam and Eve, pointing to the fact that blood had to be shed. And they understood that because they instructed Cain and Abel, look, sacrifices are with the shedding of blood. Abel believed, Cain didn't. Abel offered a sacrifice. Noah offered sacrifices. Abraham offered sacrifices. Blood. At Mount Sinai, God put it into ordinances. He put it into law. He said there will be a a priesthood. Aaron and his house will be the priests. These are the sacrifices that they will offer, shedding of blood for the sake of the people. Blood that was taken from the animal and poured out at the altar. Blood once a year on the Day of Atonement that was taken into the most holy place. And there the high priest would dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle seven drops, the number of the covenant, seven drops on the mercy seat. The covenant could only be established in blood. Blood and water was put in a bowl. And Moses took that bowl and dipped some hyssop in it and sprinkled the people with it and sprinkled the whole of the tabernacle. Even the book of the covenant, the law, had to be sprinkled with blood. This was the way the covenant would be established. That's Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 says, And almost all things by the law purged with blood, are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Forgiveness of sins, but the significant part, you see, in the establishment of the covenant is that only by the removing of the sins can we approach to God. He's established a covenant with us, but we cannot approach Him unless the sin is covered by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. By forgiving our sins, by paying for our sins, Jesus ratified the covenant that God had determined to establish with His people. A new covenant, a better covenant, established through Jesus Christ, with Him not only, but all those who are chosen in Him. Jesus realized the covenant. So when the, the minister holds up the cup, when he says the words that are found here in 1 Corinthians 11, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, we are to realize that the covenant, our relationship with God, has been established in the blood of Jesus Christ. 
That's the symbolism. That's the picture that we are to see. Remember this. Call that to mind. By faith, believe that Jesus Christ, when he died, not only atoned for your sins, but established a covenant with God that you can live with him because your sins are gone. That's what the text says in verse 26. As often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Show means we're proclaiming it. We're saying, yes, his death is my salvation. It is the covering of sin. You do show, proclaim the Lord's death till he come. Full salvation, realized covenant. So that's, first of all, the sign. We said the Lord's Supper is a sign, a picture, picture of the broken body, the shed blood, the removing of sins, the establishment of the covenant. But there's more in the picture. It is a sign also of unity, the unity of the body of Christ. You remember the form, how it speaks of the fact that out of many grains being ground, of wheat being ground together, one loaf is baked. Out of many berries being pressed together, one wine floweth. That's part of the symbolism, part of the sign, the picture in the Lord's Supper. That's how the, the apostle started this section. He rebukes them for displaying a total lack of unity. I hear that there is there are divisions among you, is how he started out. That there are divisions in the congregation. Your lack of love to each other manifests that division so that when you come together, you cannot properly partake of the Lord's Supper. Right after he said, this is not to partake, you cannot partake, he says, for, now that's proof, for, in eating everyone taketh before his own supper, one is hungry, another is drunken, you've just manifested your disunity as a congregation. You may not come then to the table of the Lord and pretend, ah, we're unified. We're all part of the body of Jesus Christ. You cannot do that, Paul tells them. Because the whole point of the sacrament is that Jesus is saying to the congregation, you are one. I've died for you all, that is, all my people. I've died for you. One of you is not better than another. You're part of a body. I have purchased the body, one united body of Jesus Christ. The covenant was realized. We are adopted in Jesus Christ. We are all part of the family. So we come to the table of the Lord confessing that, our unity. We confess we are all unworthy sinners, but Christ broke his body for us. We are all redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our confession. 
as we come to the table of the Lord. So there's the sign part. There's the picture. Removing of sin. Establishment of the covenant. Unity coming together as the body of Jesus Christ. But the Lord's Supper is more than a picture. It's a sign, but it's also a seal. It's a seal. That is to say, there is a real partaking of the body and blood of Jesus Christ at the Lord's Supper. It is not a mere picture. It's a real partaking. This is my body, Jesus said. This is my body. You will eat my body. You will drink my blood. Now, that idea of partaking of Christ has been such an issue in the church that it caused huge controversies. And we cannot go into all those positions, but you recall that there are four positions on actually partaking of Jesus. Four positions. Rome's, the Lutheran's, the Zwinglians, and the Reformed. Three of those positions say, we partake of Jesus. And one says, we do not partake of Jesus. Just briefly, Rome says we partake because the bread turns into the body of Jesus Christ. So we are putting him, his flesh into our mouth and we're eating him. And the Lutherans say, well, it doesn't change into the body, but Jesus is in the body. He's in the bread. As you partake of the bread, you are partaking of his physical body because it's in, with, and under the element. And the Zwinglians say, no, we're not partaking of Jesus at all. It's just a, it's just a, a celebration. It's a memorial. We're remembering, but we're not actually partaking of Jesus. And now the Reformed position is, we are absolutely partaking of Jesus. We are absolutely partaking of Jesus. That's confessional for us. That's not something we can put away, just ignore. The Belgic Confession, in Article 35, as it explains the Lord's Supper, makes that point. It says that God has given us his body. Well, let me see where that is. It's page 52 and 53 in the back of the Psalter. At the bottom of page 52, second column, it starts out this way. Now, as it is certain and beyond all doubt that Jesus has not enjoined us to use his sacraments in vain, so he works in us all that he represents to us by these holy signs, though the manner surpasses our understanding and cannot be comprehended by us as the operation of the Holy Ghost is hidden and incomprehensible. In the meantime, we err not when we say, on the top of page 53, that what is eaten and drunk by us is the proper and natural body 
and the proper blood of Christ. All right? Just stop there for a moment. What is partaken of us when we have the Lord's Supper is the proper and natural body and the proper blood of Christ. But then it goes on to say, but the manner of our partaking of the same is not by the mouth. It's not Rome's position, what we're eating is flesh. Not Luther's position that we're partaking of the body, no. But by the Spirit through faith. But by the Spirit through faith. Now, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? What that means is this. There is a spiritual connection made between that piece of bread that is put into our mouth and the crucified body of Jesus Christ in heaven. There is a spiritual connection made by the Holy Spirit. As we, by faith, partake of that bread and drink that wine, the Spirit is feeding our souls. Now, I want you to think about that, how important that is to have your soul fed. You, you all know how important it is to have your body fed. If you don't eat any food, your body will become weak and deteriorate, and ultimately it will die. You need physical food. For your soul, you need spiritual food. That's what keeps your soul alive and healthy, spiritual food. That's what we are partaking of in the Lord's Supper. The Spirit is applying all the blessings of the cross of Jesus Christ to us when we partake of that bread, when we say, I look at that bread, and I see what Jesus has done. I believe that he died for my sins. And the Spirit is feeding your soul. He is feeding your soul. Giving you forgiveness of sins. Giving you grace that enables you to fight the battle of faith. Giving you mercy that lifts you up. Giving you fellowship with God. Fellowship. The Lord's Supper is not an empty sign. That is the point I'm trying to drive home today. The Lord's Supper is not merely a remembrance. Something happens when you take that bread and put it in your mouth. Something happens. The Spirit is connecting that to Christ. You are being fed spiritually at the Lord's Supper. Now, exactly because it's real, not just a picture, the Holy Paul warns about the sin of partaking unworthily. He warns them about that. 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And what does that mean? Just a little farther. 
Verse 29. He's eating and drinking judgment, not discerning the Lord's body. Not discerning the Lord's body. That means that someone comes to the table of the Lord, sees the bread and the wine, and does not discern the true body and blood of Jesus Christ. Looks at the bread and says, ordinary bread. I could buy that at the bakery. Looks at the wine and says, ordinary wine. I can eat this bread and wine, but I could eat the same thing at home. It's not anything different. It's just partaking of bread and wine. That's not discerning the Lord's body. That's how the church of Corinth was coming to the table of the Lord. They had just before that displayed the most unchristian behavior, division, separated into their own little groups, my family, my friends, that's all that is important to me, the lack of love and the lack of care for the other members of the church pretending not to notice that some had no family, pretending not to notice that some had no food, and then even overeating and drinking, and then coming to the table of the Lord? They were profaning it. They were profaning the table. The table did not impress them. They were not seeing the true reality of partaking of the bread and the wine, the sign and seal of Christ's selfless sacrifice. They did not see the need for their sins to be paid for. They did not. They did not see their sin or the need to forsake them, to live lives of love and gratitude. Perhaps they were thinking something like this. Well, I'm a Christian, and this is what Christians do. When there's the Lord's Supper, Christians partake. That's what I'm doing again this Sunday. They were not discerning the significance of what this really is, a true partaking of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So you see how we can be guilty of this? If we come to the table of the Lord in, in that kind of casual way, that well, yeah, this is what we do in the Protestant Reformed churches. We have communion every three months. I'm a member of the congregation, so I'm going to partake, just the way all Christians do. It's a good reminder of what Jesus has done. When I look at that, I think about it. But if I would look at a picture of the cross, that would be a reminder just as much as looking at the bread and the wine. It's just a reminder of what Jesus has done for me. No. No. That's a casual way of approaching the Lord's Supper that is absolutely wrong. We must come to the Lord's Supper seeing the horror of our own sin. If we're not convicted by our own sin as we come to the table of the Lord, we will be guilty of what Paul warns this congregation and if we think that we may live in hatred and envy, if we think that we may lie and steal, we may desecrate the Sabbath, we may disobey 
father and mother. We may live in adultery. Or we can watch television where all of those sins are glorified and enjoy the world's entertainment. Or click on the internet, enjoy all the sins of the world with our eyes. Or live in such a way that we really don't care about the church. We don't care about the elderly. We don't care about those who have afflictions. The only thing that's important is me and my family. Then we come to the table of the Lord, not discerning the Lord's body. We're not discerning it. We're not recognizing what this is all about. My horrible sins, which need a payment. The seriousness of it is not merely that I will partake of this and it won't be of any benefit to me. The seriousness of partaking of the Lord's Supper casually is that Paul says, this makes us to be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. This makes us guilty. And guilty not of some lie or stealing, but guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Despising the cross, accounting it as of little value, that you really do not need his suffering and his death. Now, if you think that can't happen, Paul, or rather the, the writer to the Hebrews, warned them about that in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the great spirit of grace. There is a terrible judgment for people who despise God's word, continue to live in sin. In Jesus' day, they rejected him. I don't need him for a savior. I don't need him. Crucify him. We then can despise the work of Jesus and say this isn't really that important. It's a nice remembrance, but I don't really need this for my soul. That's a despising of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's serious. The wrath of God comes on a congregation that casually comes to the supper of the Lord. That's what Paul warned them of. There are people who are sick. There are people who are afflicted. There are people who are dying God's judgment is on you because you are profaning the table of the Lord. So that this will not happen with us. Paul doesn't just rebuke and say, don't do this, but Paul gives us then the proper way of coming to the table of the Lord, which is namely by examination, by examination. As he writes to the Corinthians, verse 28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat at that bread and drink of that cup. Examine himself. 
The word examine himself, examine is literally to prove, to prove himself. This is not to examine whether or not you are a believer. No one needs to examine whether whether you are a believer or not. Everyone knows that immediately. An unbeliever doesn't have to think, do I believe in God or not? He doesn't. That's not what Paul is telling us to do. The word is to prove in the sense of test as you would take gold and put it through fire and say, now, is this genuine gold or is this fake gold? And you put it through the fire. But the word indicates that what you expect is that it is true gold, that it will come through the fire even if it will have to be purified. So when Paul writes these words to the church, he is not saying, well, examine yourself and you probably probably won't pass. You probably will not be able to come to the Lord's table. Absolutely not. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying, prove yourself. Examine yourself. Run yourself through a trial, a proving. Don't come casually, but come in a proper way. Examine yourself. See your sins. See the horribleness of your sin. Be sorry for those sins from the heart. You understand when you run gold through the fire, the impurities get burned away. If you prove yourself, you're going to see sin. If you examine yourself, you will see sin. You'll see things that need to be rutted out, things you must get out of your life that you must repent of. That's part of the examination process, beholding your sin. And see the cross as the only hope of your salvation. The only hope. Your salvation is not because you're a nice person. It's not because you're from a good family. It's not because you go to church. All of that can be true of you or me. And we still could come to the table of the Lord and profane it. We must not. Our only hope is the cross. There isn't any other hope for us. That Christ died for you. That you are saved by His blood. Examination will see sin, but examination should also see the work of Jesus Christ in your life. That you are in fact beginning to walk in love to God and to the neighbor, hating sin, but walking in obedience. That's what proving should bring out. Yes, there are sins that need to be rooted out, but yes, I see the work of Jesus Christ in my life. Examine yourself. Prove yourself that you really are in Jesus Christ, that you really are living out of Jesus Christ. And then come. And then come. That's the, that's the word that Paul brings to us and that I bring to you today. And there's no way that I'm hoping to chase people away from the Lord's Supper and say, oh, I don't know if I'm worthy, I don't know. No, not, that's not at all the point. Examine yourself and so come in this manner, says Paul, in this way, 
come and partake of the Lord's Supper. My warning is not stay away, but my warning is do not come without thinking. Do not come without a deep sense of your own sin. Do not come without a genuine, heartfelt repentance and the evidence of a walk of thankfulness. If you don't see that in your life, then I say please stay away. Do stay away because you will be eating and drinking judgment to yourselves. But examine yourself and then obey the command of Christ. Take, eat, drink, all of you. This is the manner of your coming. This is not the reason why you may come. The ground of your coming is the cross alone. The access to this table is by faith alone. Faith in Jesus Christ. But the manner is by examination. Proving yourself. Repentance. So let us eat. So fed and nourished by the true body and blood of Jesus Christ. Take, eat. This is my body. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for our Savior, for His atoning work, and for the Lord's Supper that feeds our souls. We need that. Our souls are weak. We have all kinds of earthly, material things to feed the body, but nothing that feeds the soul except for thy word and the sacraments. So, Lord, we pray. Help us to examine ourselves. Help us to see our sins, turn away from them, and to live a new and godly life. And then bring us here by the Spirit, to partake of our Savior and all His benefits. This we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.